This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Work-Related Podcast, Episode 11, where we're talking about everything work-related, how to navigate as an employee, as a job seeker, as a consultant, as a leader, and also the nature of work and the shape of work and what can get better about it. Because work as an institution is a crumbling a bit like all of our institutions, um, the Enlightenment era ideals of what these institutions should look like. And the hubris, quite honestly, that allowed us to think that all the big problems were solved around the turn of the 19th to 20th century, obviously that um, confidence has eroded, should have eroded and has because our institutions from politics to education to religion uh, to our physical infrastructure, they are all crumbling. But, But the nature of work and the notion of work as an institution is really in need of an overhaul too, really badly in need of an overhaul. Our ideas about work and employment and our expectations, uh, our expectations from employees. One of the biggest manifestations of this, uh, this end of the line or this reckoning is the expectation now among uh, leaders in corporations that employees should just scurry back to work because they've been bidden to do so. It's ridiculous. When (laughs) it is clear that the emperor is naked, has no clothes, when people work at home for two plus years and things go well and companies rake in record profits, then it's tough to make the logical argument that employees need to get back to work because somehow the work has suffered. Obviously it has not. So now it's not about the work suffering what could this be about? These CEOs freaking out from Salesforce to Goldman Sachs to on and on and on. What is it that's making them freak out about getting employees back to work? Well, it's what it always was. It's power and control. I want to see you working. God forbid, if you were at home and I can't see you working, you might be able to do your job in four hours a day. And if you did your job in four hours a day, I would have lost four hours that I feel I paid for. That's right. You're not on a, you're not on a time clock, but I bought you. I bought your time, all your time for those eight hours a day or 10. And I also bought your availability, your reachability, your, your, your activity of your mind. I bought the ability to snap my fingers and contact you at any hour. If it's really urgent, my opinion, and get you to jump to attention. It's a very weird, very deep-seated idea about what employment is. And and it's time to shake those old notions, right? People write to me all the time and ask me, but if somebody could do their job literally in four hours a day, don't they owe the employer the other four or five or six? Um, That's a really good question. In a salaried position, it's not supposed to matter how many hours you work. And actually... If an employer got down on an employee, a salaried employee, for working too few hours, but they got their job done objectively by the metrics, they might have a a, 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 a problem for the Fair Labor Standards Act, which says if I'm salaried, my job's not supposed to be about the hours. Very tough bind for employers who said, I just want the work, but no, at the end of the day, they want both. They want the work and they want the hours. Meaning if you can do the work of three people, in an eight-hour day, then you better do the work of three people and you better not leave any 15-minute chunk out of it. It's very weird. It's very weird. It's a mindset, old, old, old mindset that is in there deeply 
And way, the way we know it's in there deeply is because when you talk to people about it, they don't articulate the mindset. They're not aware they have it. It's a mental model, a frame that, that, that was taught to us as little children. Uh, people who consider themselves incredibly open-minded and forward-thinking and egalitarian become managers sometimes and say, you owe me, you employee owe me X, Y, Z. Do I though? Attitudes are shifting. Thank goodness they are. That's what we're talking about here. I got a question to answer. Oh, by the way, if you have a question for me, or an observation you'd like me to discuss on the podcast, send it to me at support at humanworkplace.com. That's my email. The company, our company is called Human Workplace, and our mission is to reinvent work for people. That's why we're here. So you can send me a question or an observation. I may talk about it on the podcast, but I got one right now from Sharla. Hi, Liz. I would love to get started in thought leadership, but I have no idea how to begin. People tell me that they love my thoughts and my ideas. I feel like I should share them more widely, but I don't know how. Okay, Sharla. If people are telling you they like your ideas, they like your train of thought, um, that's already thought leadership, right? All thought leadership is, is having ideas that are your own. That's very important. <laughs> that's probably the most important thing. Your own ideas. That's an amalgam, right, of, 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 of things that bubbled up from your observations, your, your experience on earth, um, what you've read, what you've heard, but your own original formulations, um, and you share them with a wider audience intentionally. That's really what thought leadership is. So if people are telling you that you have good ideas and you're smart or you're, you're, uh, insightful or whatever, that's great. And if you feel, uh, an urge to share those ideas with a wider audience, I think you should. There are about a million ways to do that, but some of the ones that are most popular, some of the most popular channels or platforms for your thought leadership are going to be like a podcast like this or articles, for example, on Medium, that's a really popular blogging site or a newsletter you could create. A lot of people use Substack for their newsletters, free newsletters and paid newsletters or free newsletters that have a paid premium component. Um, Public speaking is still a really fantastic way to grow your thought leadership flame. And, um, you know, with, with, um, zoom and with virtual platforms for speaking, it's extremely easy now to reach a large group of people. LinkedIn live, for example, if you use LinkedIn, um, writing books, people write books and people write eBooks. And I mean, if you decide you want to get your ideas out there, the channel is the trivial part. The most important part is what is the idea? What do I care about? What's my topic? Some of the ways that people zero in on what, what they really want their thought leadership to focus on is they just start writing or they start speaking. Those are the two most common ways to get your thoughts out of your head uh, or drawing. You could sing, you know, you could write music, but a lot of people write and speak and, uh, or they do videos, TikTok is so popular and I understand why because our attention spans are shrinking and a quick video that makes a point or makes a pithy observation, bing, 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 here's the video and it's done, is a really easy thing to create and a really easy thing for people to consume. So I encourage you to just step out. Do not, um, do not worry or stress about it. Just start putting out ideas and your 
thought leadership um, focus will crystallize on its own. It will become clear. The, the, only, um, the only watchword, the only little advice I would give you to be wary of is the message is more important than the channel, in my opinion. Um, just putting stuff out for the sake of having a TikTok going out every two days or putting out an article every week, if it's not good quality, if it's not tied to you uh, philosophically, your heart, your mind, I wouldn't do it. I would just skip a week or skip a day. It's more important that it be really good quality content. That's important for you as well as your audience, which will grow undoubtedly as they start to connect with your message. So here's to you, Sharla. Keep it rocking. That's amazing. And uh, I can't wait to see what you put out there. All right. Hi, Liz. I've been at my job for a year. That seems like too short a time to move on, but I don't love it. I'm trying to decide whether to stay or go. What are the factors I should consider? Mm. So a lot of people find themselves in this situation. You put in the year. That's good. Got a year in this job on your resume, but you feel like it should be longer than that before you start to, you know, look at the wider world because it might make you look like the dreaded job hopper if you're only at the job a year. The first thing I would say is the year at the job itself is not that important. People change jobs after a year all the time. It's what does the rest of your resume look like? If you're worried about being tagged as a job hopper, um, a horrible, a horrible moniker, by the way, because most people only change jobs because they have to, because it's untenable at the job, or to make more money, which they deserve to make the money they should have made at the original job. So the idea of tagging a person with this with this uh, name, a job hopper, like there's something wrong with them, is really messed up given that people don't cho- change jobs for the fun of it. But it matters what you did before. If this would be your third or fourth job in a year, then yeah, I probably would try. I mean, I don't want you to put yourself through mental or emotional distress, but you know, if it's all the same and you could handle another year, then you might. Um, but there's also, you know, always this idea of only the people who get you deserve you and you're not here on earth to please everyone. Are you confident you could get another job right now? Good job, better than the job you have. That's the key. It has to be better some important way. Then I would say, look, there's never any reason not to look around. There's never any reason not to look around. There's just not. So this question, should I stay or should I go, is not really the question because you're not at the point of deciding whether you should go. You're just at the point of deciding whether you should look. Yeah, you should look. Absolutely, positively. In fact, everybody should look for a job all the time because that's what keeps you close to the market, close to those transactions and what employers need. Yes, always. My advice is look, look, look. And if the right thing pops up, it's better than where you are. They want to hire you, notwithstanding the what you think is a short tenure at the job, do it, you know. We're running our own careers now. We're all CEOs. Okay, Liz, you've written a lot about not consulting for free on a job interview, but how do you avoid it? Okay, this has to do with this thing where you'll go on a job interview and they'll say, so here's our situation. We have this problem and this problem. How would you solve this problem in detail? And then what they do to add insult to injury is grab a pen and a piece of paper. They're going to take notes. So your idea is going to be is going to be left behind. Souvenir for them of interviewing you. But they'll forget completely that it was you who gave them the idea. Unfortunately, I've seen this a million times. Many job candidates have been burned. 
They give a detailed idea and it's so beautiful. Well, the idea is wonderful and the company's going to be quick to deploy it, but they're not going to hire you. And maybe they don't hire anyone. So how do you avoid this? Well, the first thing to do is to understand why I don't want you to give your best idea, your detailed idea, ever in a job interview, ever. Even if it's just, you should look at this vendor. Maybe you figure they didn't know about this particular tool that could help them. Hey, you should look at this vendor or, or you should look at this tool or have you heard of the XYZ method? Never give advice like that in a job interview. You know, they tell lawyers, never ask a question of a witness that you don't know the answer to. It's the same thing. Uh, on the stand, that is. On the stand. Don't ask a question. We have no idea what they're going to say. It's the same thing when you go on a job interview. Do not throw something out there. Hey, have you ever thought about trying X? They write it down and say, oh, X. You know, this candidate said we should try this software tool called X. They'll go buy it. They'll go do a free trial. But you're out of it. You have nothing to do with it. They will never remember that it came from you. But it's worse than that. Because if, because if you think about it, you're suggesting this software X. There's only two possibilities. They've used it. They've tried it already. Or they haven't tried it. Let's say they've tried it. They tried X. Well, if X worked, then it worked to the extent of its ability to solve the problem, and they still have a problem. So for you to say, hey, you should try X. Well, they've been using X for two years, and it didn't completely solve the problem. They're going to hear you as not understanding the problem. They're going to say, that's so lame. This candidate told us to use this software we've been using for two years. What's wrong with this candidate? Don't they know that software is only a parcel solution at best? to the problem and they're giving us this two-year-old information and they're not really current. So they're going to discount your advice and you, right? If they're already using or have used that solution. Maybe they tried the solution and they couldn't make it work. Now you're sitting here saying, well, if you tried X and it didn't work, uh, that's an execution issue and I could help you. Oh, that's the worst. Nobody wants to hear that they did something badly. Maybe they did, but again, you didn't know the answer about whether or not they've tried X. So you don't want to be putting that out there. Oh yeah, this candidate said we should try X. No, X is stupid. We tried that software. We went through three different free trials with three different email addresses and it didn't work. That software sucks. No, it doesn't, but now you're playing defense again. Terrible. You don't want to be in that situation. So now let's say they haven't used X and they're scribbling. Oh yeah, we we, we haven't tried that one. We'll have to try it. Yeah. They, they remember X, they don't remember you. You are literally out of the conversation. You hold a gun to that manager's head 24 hours from now and say, what's the name of the candidate who gave you the idea to, to, to use X to try this software solution called X? They will not remember. Or they'll say, no, I didn't get it from anyone else. I got it for myself. I always liked X. This is how the human brain works, especially in fear. Don't, mm -mm. don't give that kind of level of detail. You think you're on a mind meld with this manager and you guys are just kind of clicking and no don't so how there is no way to win by giving a solution that's my point there is no way to win in the best case they're scribbling furiously and then they 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 go off and try to implement the solution they've completely forgotten about you you are not in it you are not the shiny object the shiny object is whatever you told them okay so what do you do instead well there's two ways to handle this situation where the, you're asked specifically to give basically free consulting advice, customized consulting advice on a job interview, and you're not going to get paid for it. But worse than that, they will, are very likely to just take the advice and proceed without you. 
So this is where you might be thinking, well, if they're horrible people, Liz, then why am I even there? Yeah, but this is human nature. Unfortunately, guys, they, they this is so built in, they will not think of it as a bad thing to do. What I'm saying is don't give it all away at the job interview. Keep the focus on their pain, not solutions. Any solution that anyone would offer at this stage before they've done a full, you know, full needs analysis is going to be a bad solution. But they cannot see that because people in fear are looking for everything looks like a life preserver. So what you're going to do instead of giving them a detailed solution is you're going to do one of two things. It's your choice. Or you could combine these two approaches. The first approach is a process approach. So you say, well, let me tell you what I would do about that, Stanley, um, about that issue with your uh, vendor quality program. I would, uh, first thing I would do is really understand the problem. I would scope the problem. Um, what's going wrong? What is it costing the company? What have we tried? You know, and what um, looks like a good outcome? What does what successful resolution look like? And get that really clear talking to you, talking to a few other people, get that problem problem defined very clearly in a couple of weeks. And then after that, I'm going to do some deep research, talk to all the relevant people, talk to the customers, talk to the vendors. I'm sure they have a perspective on this. Talk to your folks, obviously talk to you, talk to your executives, right? So I'm just going to do what a consultant would do. I'm going to come in and look at this problem 360 degrees and look at the options Then I'm going to serve up to you, Stanley. Um, some, some alternatives, some ways to, to, uh, surmount this obstacle and get where you want to get and the cost of each and the time and the, what's required for implementation. And then we'll make a decision and we'll go forward. So you're going to lay out the process that you will follow if you come in to do this job and solve this problem. And in, in talking about that process, you're going to show that you understand how these problems get solved. So there's credibility in there, but you're not going to say, here's what I would do. I would absolutely do X, Y, Z. It's not credible that if it's a great idea, they will steal the idea. And also it does show a bit of naivete and lack of credibility because you, you really, what you could say is if, if a manager says to you, well, aren't you going to give me the specific answer? You're going to say no. And by the way, I would not, I would honestly be wary of anybody that would tell you they're going to give you the exact right solution. You're a smart person. You work here. You've spent time on this issue. If you haven't come up with the right solution, then who's going to sitting in the chair that would not be credible. And I wouldn't rely on that information, right? Okay. That's the process approach. The other way to circumvent this issue of being asked for free consulting on a job interview is to tell a story about a time when you solved a similar problem. You say, it's interesting. You asked me that Stanley, I worked on an issue like this when I was back at Wiggly Electronics and, um, here's what was going on. And you tell a story which is probably emotionally even more compelling than laying out your process because in the story, they see themselves as a character in that story, right? And stories are always more powerful than other kinds of exposition. So think about that. I've also written a million columns on this topic. If you want to read them, don't give it all away at the job interview, how to avoid doing free consulting. It's a very big theme for me. So best of luck to you and thanks for writing. Okay. We got one more topic and that is what do I do about a jealous coworker? Hi Liz. I was a classroom social studies teacher before I went into sales during the pandemic 
and it turns out I'm good at sales. I beat my goals in 2022 by 13% and I'm on track to beat my goals by 19% in 2023. The other day, a coworker in another region called my manager specifically to complain about me. I was thunderstruck. I was shocked because I have never talked with this person at length, but they found it appropriate to call my boss and complain about me. I assume they're jealous of my success. What should I do? Okay. You know, all jobs now require us to cultivate a different mindset and sales jobs are some of the jobs that most require that. Hats off to you for making that transition from teaching in a classroom to doing sales. I'm sure you were selling like crazy in the classroom, selling the kids on the ideas you were sharing, selling parents on various courses of action and selling your administration on various courses of action. But now you're really selling on behalf of your company and hats off to you for having such great success. Um, in sales, you really have to, you know, they say face rejection. That's one way of making your skin thicker. But another way is this is going to happen. And not just in sales, when you're successful, not everyone will be cool with it. Obviously not everyone will be happy for you. Um, and not everyone will be happy for you consistently, right? Because we're human beings, we fall into fear. So we have to imagine that this person maybe saw something, heard something, they got freaked out and they call your boss and try to complain about you. Ridiculous, um, meritless, but that's what they did. I recommend you ignore it. Continue doing your job. Drama is always suboptimal. Drama is always not the right answer. It's hard to stay out of the drama, but it's always the right answer to stay out of the drama. You do not want to confront this person and say, I heard what you did. That is pure back to your students. That's seventh grade stuff. God bless seventh graders. But that's what that is, um, is, is falling into. Yeah. So don't you dare call my boy. They were in fear. God bless them. You're going to go on much better to have that person wonder <laughs> whether you ever heard about the story than to confront them because you fall out of your power when you say, I can't believe you did this thing. They did it. They fell in fear. It wasn't cool, but you, that's not your mission to educate that person. Anyway, you won't educate them. You'll just make an enemy. You'll make them defensive. Maybe later you'll teach them. Maybe you'll be their boss at some point. Life is long, right? On your path, you are going to confront encounter any number of barking dogs and I want you to walk past them. Don't acknowledge them. Don't engage with them. Don't engage with them. That's not where your power is. Let it go. Let it go. Your manager handled it. Doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with you. You are so much stronger than you know. And, and part of that strength is being willing to say, okay, that person was having a bad day. It has nothing to do with me. You do not, there's no action item for you, nothing for you to do. Okay. I've been switching gears here. I've been since last fall training people to work with me and our company human workplace as career coaches, training them in our methods and our curriculum and the mindset around those things. And they are now career coaches and they're working with clients. 
Um, and it's really exciting to see them go through that transition. Some of the folks were coaching in various ways before. Almost everyone does some kind of coaching, right? That is the people who are drawn to it. Some of them were in tech, some of them were in HR, some of them were recruiting, some of them were in universities, um, just about everything, and they are coaching. And it's a really, really fun experience uh, for them and for me. And if you are interested in becoming a career coach with my help, please reach out to me at support at humanworkplace.com. And I'll tell you about the, the program. It's 12 weeks long. And um, it's all about stepping into your power as a career coach and launching a business, learning our curriculum and, um, and being able to teach it to other people. And um, there is so much need out there. There's so much confusion and um, so much tumult in the uh, employment market, in the talent market. And we're helping people through those transitions with their career direction and their branding and their strategy and interviewing and all of these topics. So if you're interested in becoming a career coach, I would love to hear from you about that. And otherwise, please follow us. Please spread the word about the podcast and the human workplace movement to reinvent work for people. I'm Liz Ryan. Thanks so much for listening and have an awesome, awesome day.